There we go. <clears throat> Thank you, Amanda, for helping. Thank you, Kirsten and Chloe, for playing so much better than if you guys didn't do that. All right, we do want to take an opportunity also to welcome any first-time visitors that are with us today. If you're here or not just first-time visitors, if you've never filled out a connection card uh, to give us some information about yourself, uh, as a visitor, you can just fill out the front side and let us know uh, that you attended with us today. We'd be grateful for that. If you've not filled this out and let us know birthdays and all that kind of stuff, uh, anniversaries, we would love to have that as well. Um, Speaking of birthdays and anniversaries, Carrie Gano's birthday is actually today. She was not feeling well yesterday, so pray for her. Uh, and the Good Nose anniversary was a couple days ago. They're not feeling well. Uh, Ollie has RSV, so if you would be praying for him, that would be uh, great. They would appreciate that very much. Uh, so think of them. And also pray uh, that little Mar- Miss Martha, as I call her, does not come down with it as well. Um, so that's a, that's a big thing because it's so much worse for children that are under three years of age, okay? So pray for Martha that she remains healthy and that her big brother doesn't share that with her. Uh, Lindsay was not feeling great this morning either, so I want to pray for Lindsay. Uh, as you know, she's expecting uh, their third child, and they're very excited about that, looking forward to that. Brandon also started a new job, so if there's things uh, that you want to pray for, for the good knows there are things that abound that you could be praying for them. also want to ask you to be praying for Wanda Petrella. Um, Wanda is, as you know, suffering from Parkinson's, and she started a new medication. Let me just read the text to you from Mike. Uh, Vonnie shared this with me as well. Uh, it says, hey, hey, Pastor, Vaughn was supposed to ask you, but she is late. She was actually on time, and she did share with me ahead of time, so thank you very much. Please pray for Wanda as she is starting a new medication today. Hopefully, it will be able to control her blood pressure better. Thanks, Mike. All right, so, you know, we've been praying about Wanda's uh, battle with his blood pressure spiking and then plummeting and all of that kind of stuff. It's part of the Parkinson's and I think maybe uh, also compounded by the medication. So they're changing that. Hopefully that will bring that under control. So as we get started this morning, let's uh, pray for some of these things and then also let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Join me in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together. What a blessing it is to be in your house. It's a beautiful day, Father, and we're uh, encouraged and thankful for the sunshine that is out there um, and just the way it lights everything up and helps us to have a better perspective on the day. We're thankful for that. Today, Father, we want to pray for some specific needs within our church family. Uh, We bring the Good Know family before you today in prayer. We want to ask that you would encourage them. We pray especially especially for little Ollie, who's battling with RSV, woke up this morning uh, with the worst cough he's had since he was diagnosed a couple days ago. So we commit him into your hands and ask that you would just allow this, uh, this virus to pass quickly and that it wouldn't pass, be passed on to Martha. We know that it can be sometimes much worse for a younger child. So we commit that into your hands. We pray that you would uh, allow them to figure out how to keep Ollie uh, distance from Martha. And yet, um, just uh, that's, a t- that's a tough thing. Father, so we commit that into your hands. Pray for Lindsay as she's also not feeling great this morning. We commit her into your hands. Think of the pregnancy and the uh, and the baby that is growing within the, inside of her. We're so thankful for that good news.
news that they received and that things are going well so far. So we commit her and the baby into your hands. Know that they're excited to welcome this new child uh, into their home and into their family and even into our church family here. Uh, Father, we look around and we see others that are not here. I see part of the Siemens family is here, so we commit them into your hands. Must be some still not feeling well there in their house, so we uh, ask that you would strengthen them. We think of the Ramavus who left on Friday for France, and they're on their way to uh, helping the ministries over there, especially the camping ministries, uh, uh, kind of doing some repairs and fixing up properties and doing things that are are necessary to the buildings, but also having an opportunity to uh, minister to, to people over there who are uh, just kind of struggling in the ministry. There, uh, there's so many things going on right now, and there's uh, uh, maybe even a little bit of a lack of direction or a lack of um, uh, cooperative work over there between a couple of different families. So we commit all of that into your hands, ask that you would help uh, Nick and Cindy to have the wisdom to know how to encourage and strengthen and uh, just uh, come alongside and uh, walk with them and help them to make uh, good choices, good decisions that would be beneficial to the camp over there in France. Father, again, we want to pray for our service this morning. We thank you for the privilege of opening your word together. Uh, Lord, we've come for this purpose so we can hear from your word, we can hear from you, and we can um, organize our life better because we spent time uh, looking into your word and finding perhaps some answers to the uh, questions that we have in life. Uh, Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the second book of Peter with me this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1. In fact, last week, we didn't even get all the way through our sermon, uh, so we decided we would stop where we, uh, where we were, and we would pick it up this morning. Our title last week was, Work It Out! with the emphasis on the it, and the it was the salvation that God has provided for us. This morning, I added to that title uh, as uh, throughout the week as I was studying, work it out and grow, okay? So as a result of working out our salvation, something is going to happen to those of us who know Christ as our Savior, and that's something that's going to happen is that we are going to grow. We are going to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, as we started looking at this idea of working out our salvation, we wanted to make it clear that the idea of working it out doesn't mean that we work for our salvation, but instead, it means that we work and show others that we are genuinely saved. It's not a proof, it's not an ability of gaining salvation, but it is proof that we are actually uh, a child of God and rightly related to him through Jesus Christ. We also talked last week in our sermon um, about how we communicate the gospel. And I'm not going to go back through and over that in great detail, but I did want to share with you uh, just a quick review of, ya- of last week's message. So I've got five questions, and they're all going to be answered by scripture that we looked at last week, just so we're on the same page about this gospel presentation, how it is that we can present the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody else so that they might come to know Christ as their Savior, and then they can begin to grow in the relationship that God has blessed us with. So the first question that we have here is why did Jesus actually come to the earth? Why did he come to his created planet and the, the, everything that we see around us, the earth, the stars, the everything, why did he come? Well, we find the answer in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, there was a time in our history, the history of mankind, where man didn't think they were really all that bad. Okay, 
And maybe if you do a comparison, you might agree, man, it wasn't so bad back then. But you got to ask this question. If Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, who then are sinners? Who, excuse me, who's this group of people that we call sinners? Now, I don't stand up here and call you sinners. I stand up here and call us sinners, okay? We're all sinners. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if all of us have sinned, if we've all committed acts of sin, what does that make us? Sinners, okay? Um, And you might say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Well, that might be true, but it doesn't mean, it's not a comparison between that guy over there or over there, and me. That's not what it is. It's the fact that I've sinned. So if I've sinned, then I therefore am a sinner. I am a sinner. And you know what? How bad is that? Well, it's pretty bad. Because in Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. Uh Uh-oh. Well, pastor, if I'm a sinner and the wages of sin is death, why am I still breathing? Well, that's not the death that we're talking about here. That's not the death that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 6. The death that Paul is talking about here is spiritual death, okay? If a person, or since a person is spiritually dead the day they were conceived, and when they enter into this world, they're already spiritually dead because of the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden, then we're separated from God from day one. That's bad news, Because you know what happens if that separation continues on to the end of our life and we start into eternity? That means we're separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. Hell was not created for you and I. It was created for Satan and his angels. So God in his sovereignty in eternity past said, I've got to have a way to reconcile lost man. Even though the news is bad that we're all sinners, You ask the question, is there any hope? Is there any good news? Yes, there is. There is good news. In fact, the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, gospel, means good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see that in Romans chapter 6. We read, for the wages of sin is death. And then there's that little word that I like so much, but... The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Everlasting life. And how do I get it? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, so the bad news is pretty bad, but there is hope because there's good news in Jesus Christ. We can be reconciled. We can be saved. We can be redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So you might say, well, okay, pastor, you gave me the good news, but how do I get it? Well, here's how you get it. Romans chapter 5, because if you confess, sorry, Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what's the last phrase? You will be saved. No ifs, no doubts, no question marks. You will be saved. If you believe what Christ did on the cross of Calvary is the only and all-sufficient means for you to be reconciled, for you to be saved, for you to be, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, for you to be born again, then you will be saved. Oh, hallelujah for that. I don't have to worry. I don't have to doubt. I don't have to wonder. Is it really true? 
It sure is. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So if I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and we call that faith, if I have this faith that God has given to me, then I will be saved. So Peter then moves on from this idea of salvation, and he gives us a command, if you will. He says, work it out. Work out your salvation. You know, this idea of working out our salvation, it's the same thing as growing in our salvation or growing in our walk with the Lord. Last week, we saw that Peter, uh, he said, these are the things that you need to do to grow in your Christian life. It's, it's a process of addition, this, this growing in your faith. That's really what it is. I add to certain things. Now, we don't have time to go through all of these additions again in depth, but let me just remind you what we should add if we want to grow. You know, it's kind of like making a cake, right? I, you, you, most of you folks know that I like to cook. Baking was the last thing that I tried to take on, okay? Uh, I love to, you know... Cook, of course, man, men are supposed to be able to, to barbecue, right? Or as my South African friends would say, to braai, all right? Uh, that shouldn't be a difficult thing for a guy. It should be just a natural thing. But when I was growing up, I never did anything in the kitchen. I didn't even do dishes in the kitchen, okay? My mom's philosophy was, I'm raising three boys. They don't need to know how to do dishes. That's not their job. Now, you don't have to agree with that, but whatever, that was, that was her philosophy, okay? So, as we were growing up, we didn't spend any time in the kitchen. Funny thing is, all three of us uh, enjoy cooking now that we're on our own and have our, well, had our own families and they've all moved on and on their own way. But, you know what? Our son, Micah, he'll often call us up, uh, and, and it's not just calling mom and saying, hey, mom, what do I do to make this dish? Hey, is, is mom on speaker, dad? Because I want both of you. So how do I do this? How do I make this? How do I cook this? How? And so uh, it, this idea of adding, when I first, the first time I ever tried to make chocolate chip cookies, okay, I got out the recipe. My wife was at a ladies' Bible study, and I thought, ah, I'll make chocolate chip cookies while she's away. So I got out the, 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 all the ingredients, got out the recipe, and I just started dumping stuff into the bowl. I, I read the ingredients list, and I just started dumping stuff in the bowl. And then I get down to the that second part of the recipe where it's actually, this is what you do first and second and third. And, and I'm like, uh-oh. What am I supposed to do now? Because I've got all these things in here, and they're not all supposed to be in here at this point. So I, I actually, my wife called me from our friend's house at the, when she finished the Bible study. This is before cell phones, okay? Um, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave, and I, I, I tried to make cookies, and I put, she says, don't worry, we'll take care of it when I get home, all right? So then she says, now, you can, follow, you can follow a recipe, but you have to read the whole recipe before you just start dumping things into the bowl, so from that point on, I realized, hey, if I want to make something, if I want to cook something, all I need to do is follow a recipe. If I can read, I ought to be able to do that, right? So Peter's saying, here's what you need to add, this, this, and this. So he starts off with this thing called faith. Faith is not, was not something that we add to, but it's a gift from God. We saw that already. Uh, Paul says over in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it, faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so we have this idea of what faith is. We've, we've kind of worked our definition of what faith is here in Calvary Baptist Church, that faith is believing that God is able to do what he says he will do in ordering my life accordingly. But we, we shortened that a little bit for last week's um, 
message when we said that faith is believing in what is true. Where do I find what is true? I find it here. Okay? You will never find anything contradictory to the truth in this book. You, you might not find everything about every science detail or every math detail, but if the Bible talks about science, guess what? It's true. If the Bible talks about um, something that has to do with math, guess what? It's true. So I find truth in the, if I, everything, here's another thing, everything I want to know about Jesus and about God, everything I need to know about God is in this book, and it's all true, okay? If there was something that we needed to know about how to live the Christian life, God would have put it in this book, okay? If it's not in this book, it's really not all that important to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, okay? So here's the truth. The truth is right here in this book, and you say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about that book? You know, there's so many different translations. There's so many different versions. How do we know what we have in our hands is true? Well, we believe that God, although this is not, when we say that all scripture is given by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped to do life. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. We believe that. But when it says that all scripture is given by inspiration, we don't don't shoot me, don't throw anything at me. It's not about this Bible that I have here. Okay? It's about the original writings, the things that Paul wrote, Moses wrote, uh, David wrote. The original autographs were God-breathed. So I don't have to pay any attention to this then, right? No, that's not true either. What I hold in my hands is something that God has preserved down through the ages. So we believe that this copy of the Scriptures and there are ways that we can tell which translations are good and which are not. Okay, it's, and we're not going to get into that this morning. It's called textual criticism. Um, and we, we study out, and men of old have studied out, and there were ways to interpret, there are ways to understand and make sure that what we have today is clear, it's understandable, it's applicable, and it's preserved by the very hand and nature of God. Okay, so I hold in my hands an accurate copy of what God wants me to know and understand. Um, and so when I read Second Peter, I know that I'm reading truth from God's word. So I live by the truth that God has given to me, the faith that God has given to me. I live by that truth. Here's the basic truth. Jesus came from the Father. He lived on this earth. He died on something that looked a little bit like that called a cross. And when he hung on that cross, he took the sins of mankind on his body so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of sin because we couldn't pay the penalty of sin. Only Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb of God, could take the sin of mankind onto himself, into his own body, and pay for my sins. In other words, he took my wages that were due me, the wages of sin is death. He took death for me that I might live. What is that death? How do we know that Jesus died? It wasn't just that he physically gave up his life on the cross. We know that that's true. Not only do the gospels record it, regular history records it, that there was a man named Jesus from Nazareth who died on a cross at the hands of the Romans. Okay? Scripture says, and he breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. He died. He physically died. But there was a moment prior to that physical death where he cried out these words. You know what they are, right? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, 
My God, why have you forsaken me? What does that mean? It means that at that moment, and also at that point in time, what happened around them? In the middle of the day, when it should have been bright, sunshiny outside, it went dark. Completely dark. History records it. You can look it up. And, and why did it happen like that? Because God the Father turned his back on his only son. And after his father turned his back on his only son, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he said, It is finished. He died, he was separated from his father so that you and I might live. If we believe that, that's acting in faith. That brings us our salvation. And then Peter goes on to say, he says, we add to our faith virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is moral excellence. It's finding favor or being pleasing to God. I can't do that apart from God. I can't do that without the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. But once I know Christ as my Savior, I can be pleasing to God. I can strive to be that way. Okay, so I add to my faith virtue, I add to my virtue knowledge, and that knowledge is not just something that's giving me all kinds of information that I plug into my, my brain and I say, oh, look how much I know, I know so much, I can go to, on Jeopardy now and I can win. No, nope, that's not the knowledge we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual knowledge here that is focused on the person and work of God and it's revealed to us in the pages of Scripture, So I have this knowledge that I'm adding, and what do I add to my knowledge? Well, Peter says, add self-control to your knowledge. This self-control is when we actually fight against ourself. And what is that fight? That fight is the fight against the old nature, the sinful desires that spring up within us. Because Paul says that I, I still have this old nature. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He's talking about that old nature that still rears its ugly head and still tries to get me to live contrary to what God would have me do. He says, how do I I gain victory in this? Well, I, I feed that new nature. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are new creatures in Christ. The old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. So if I want to feed that new nature, I have to feed it with the word of God. I have to feed it by fellowshipping with others who are going to inspire me and push me me on to do what is right. I need to sometimes change my circle of friends or at least lessen the amount of time that I spend with the old friends who are of the old nature. And then I need to, as I'm spending time with those old friends who have the old nature, I need to be living out Christ before them as I'm growing in my relationship with him. So they see there's a difference between then and now. That's the self-control that I must practice, okay? God wants me to become more like Jesus, so I must focus on the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. So in our quest to grow in our Christianity, we continue to add these Christ-like qualities. The next one is perseverance. Perseverance means to remain under, to be steadfast, even in those difficult times. In other words, when we fail, we do not quit, When we fail to be obedient to the word of God, to a command in scripture, we don't just say, oh, forget it, I can't do it. We confess, we repent, and we ask God for the strength to continue to move on. If it's sin, we confess it and accept the forgiveness promised to us. If it's doubt, we search the scriptures and we become renewed in our faith. And the next thing that we add to our perseverance is godliness. 
What is godliness? Well, it's fostering reverence toward God. Being mindful of who God is and revering Him, it helps us walk in the path that causes growth in our walk with God. I want to know more about God. I want to learn more about God so I can become more like Him. Not to take His place like Satan wanted to take the place of God. But I want to learn to become more like him so my light will shine brighter and others will know that I am one of his children. There's a family resemblance that continues to grow in our lives. After we add godliness, Peter says we we have to practice brotherly kindness. And that's the act of bestowing favor on another. In other words, you treat others the way Jesus would, would have treated them. Okay, how do we do that? That's a very practical way. You, you know, we, and it may not be the same every day, day in and day out, but we figure out how is it that I can become more like Jesus? How is it that I can demonstrate that likeness of Jesus to others? Maybe it's giving them a ride to church. Maybe it's uh, bringing them a meal. Maybe it's, there's lots of different ways. We, we show Jesus to those around us We start, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, in the household of faith, but then it ought to go outside of the household of faith. We should be spreading that love to others, far and wide, not just, Pastor, why do we do a food truck anyway? Because we're we're loving the people of Preble and Homer and Cortland and Lafayette and Tully. I know it's the other way, but anyway. um, We're loving our neighbors, We're helping them have needs met that, you know, we can't as a church simply go out to the grocery store and buy, uh, you know, $5,000 worth of food and take it to other people. But we certainly can host a food truck here. And that's showing Jesus to others. We want them to know that we love them and we can hand out backpacks at a family fun fall festival and we can do other kinds of things that say, hey, listen, I love you. As a church, we want to let you know that we are here for you. We, we care for you and we want to help in whatever ways we can. But we must be building relationships because if we're not building relationships, they're never gonna share their needs with us. And if they don't share their needs, we don't know them and we can't help them. So as you go out in your community and in your neighborhood and at the place where you work, you need to be showing these Christ-like attributes so others will say, why do you do that anyway? Because I love you. Yeah, what? No, 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 not that way. I just want to help. If I can help, let me help. Okay? So we, we add to them this brotherly kindness, this concept that is called love. And the love that we're talking about is not the Hollywood kind of love. Okay, that's fine between you and your wife. But you know what? The, the love that Jesus is talking about, the love that Peter's talking about here is that agape love, that sacrificial love that fosters fervent care for another and expects nothing in return. We don't expect that because we give food out at the food truck, we, we don't expect somebody's gonna come by and say, here, let me give you 100 bucks to help with your electric bill. That's not why we do it, Okay. We don't do it for anything in return. Sure, we hope that they'll come into our church and, and start learning about Jesus. But we don't force them. We don't say, hey, you got to come to church to get this or get that. We, we love them and we demonstrate that love. 
This brings us to the conclusion of our work it out that we're adding um, on to our faith. We're going to move on into the next part of the text that we didn't get to last week, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would, uh, and we're going to read together um, verses 8 through 11. So go ahead to the next screen, Timothy, and that'll be verse 8. Uh, let's read together Second Peter 1, verses 8 through 11. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Okay, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we talking about here? After we're adding these things to our salvation, we're talking about how we grow and how we live it out. You may be seated. So last week, we talked about the call to action in verse 5. We talked about being committed to growing in verses uh, 5 and through 7. And this morning, we pick it up with the consequences of growing. Now, these consequences, you understand the consequences is not always a negative thing, right? Consequences is the result of reaction. Things coming together, and this is what happens. The consequences of growing, and these are good consequences. We see, first of all, there's a confirmation in my life, okay? The confirmation is that, yes, I am a child of God. If I've added these things and I continue to add these things on a regular basis, on a daily basis, I am growing in my faith. I am showing to others. I am proving to myself. I am also uh, you know, exercising God's authority in my life. I am confirming that I am a child of God. Paul says here, or Peter says, here's the reality, my friends. If these things are yours and abound, this is the reality. This is the truth. If the list of virtues that Peter just listed and we just reviewed as fruit are are yours and they should be all of us should be exercise you can't say pastor i can i don't know how to love you know how jesus loved you right he he took care of the greatest need you have so you do what jesus did for you that's all you do that's how you love okay now i'm not saying that you have to die on a cross for anybody but jesus knew our need He took care of that need. He met that need. Okay? So if these things are yours and abound, if you are loving, if you are practicing uh, brotherly affection, brotherly concern, if you are, you pick out the different things that were listed up here, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, if those things are yours and they should be, we should be demonstrating these fruits, proving that we are the children of God, then it's proof, it's absolute certainty that you have trusted the Lord as your Savior. People say to me, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. So I say, well, you tell me about your life. What are the things that you're doing in your life? How are you serving God if you think you're saved? Uh, and why are you serving? And they start sharing these things. And I say, okay, I can't, I don't know your heart. But based on what you're telling me, it would seem to me that you do know Jesus as your Savior. You are exhibiting the fruits of righteousness. You're growing and you're acting these things out. It's proof of our salvation, but it's the way that we walk in our everyday life with the Lord. 
It's called growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the reality. If these things are yours, it should say, if we'd have broken down into a, a specific study of the word if, we would see that that word actually means since these things are yours and abound. Peter says, the result is you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. You will never be barren or unfruitful. Jesus gave great advice about how he can bear fruit. Okay? As a child of God, as one who is born again, we should be fruitful. The fruits of righteousness, the fruits of Christ's likeness should be in our life. He tells us about that over in John 15 where he says, I, Jesus, is talking here. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Here's the key. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, I've told you before that I used to love to grow roses in Cape Town, South Africa, where we used to live. And you know what? Cape Town was a beautiful place to grow roses. It very seldom, if ever, got below 32 degrees or zero over there, Celsius. Okay, So I could plant my roses in the ground and I didn't have to worry about bringing them in in the winter. I didn't have to worry about freezing cold, uh, you know, but I did have to prune them. And I, well, you know, I was a novice. Okay, uh, and, and a friend of mine, a person in our church came over one day and says, Pastor, you never pruned your roses. I said, well, why would I want to prune my roses? He says, you know, you need to cut the stuff off of it. Or they, I said, no, 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 they're nice and tall, they're big. And they, you know, but if you don't prune them, Pastor, next year they won't grow as, as well as they could. I'm like, are you serious? I got to cut, I mean, I've worked all year to get these to be tall roses. I fertilized them and I did this and I did that. I watered them because Cape Town doesn't get a lot of water in the summer. I, you mean I have to cut them back? Yeah, you have to cut them back. I said, well, can you come show me how to do that? So he said, absolutely. So he comes over with his pruners and he comes over with his rose sap, or his, his, like a Band-Aid that you put on the roses. And he says, okay, Pastor, this is what we got. I said, no, 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 no. You can't cut it down that far. Yeah, yeah, we do. No, but really, I mean, look, no. So he starts cutting and I'm like, nah, almost like it hurt me to cut those off. So he's cutting away. And I said, I trust you, Mike. I trust you. My roses better come back next year. And so he says, okay, Pastor, if you want to make sure they're going to come back, he, says, he starts squeezing out of the tube this sticky, sappy stuff. And, and, and he says, and you might want to wear gloves when you put this on. He says, eventually it'll come off, but if you don't. So he takes a little bit of stuff off the, out of the tube and he rubs it over where he cut. He says, that seals the cut and it doesn't let bugs get in there and hibernate over the winter. So you know what? I was waiting. I mean, not just because nobody likes winter, right? But I was waiting for the, the rain to stop and the sun to come out. This takes months over there, okay? Because the winter from like November to at least April, you get four or five days of rain every, every week, and it's just not nice. But in, in May and in June, the clouds roll away, and you hardly ever see another cloud. I mean, at least the rain cloud. And guess what happens? Everything starts to bloom. And the roses are, I see green on the roses. And I'm thinking, 
yes, Mike was right. Thank you, Mike. And you know what? My roses, my roses grew just as tall, just as vibrant, smelled just as nice because that was one of my qualifications for buying roses. Okay? I don't want roses that don't smell. Roses are supposed to have a scent. Okay? Um, so when I would go to the nursery, the, the, the place where you buy your plants, and I would go to, back to where the roses are, I'd say, I want a fragrant rose. I learned that terminology. I said, I want a rose that has, has a lot of smell to it and good smell. So you say, well, you, you don't want that one and you don't want that one. Uh, you, yeah, this one's a nice one. So those are the ones I bought and planted. So they started to grow. And every year then, I pruned my roses as much as I'm thinking, like, really? I don't want to cut these back because they look so nice. Jesus says, my father prunes them. You see, we have to be pruned. We have to let God remove the stuff that has already produced and is now going to die and wilt and fade away. If you, if you keep that stuff on the rose bush, it's not good. The rose doesn't produce as much. Jesus says, here's how you grow fruit. You let my Father prune you. And when he prunes you, you will bear more fruit. It's true. It really is. He said, you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about getting clean. You're already clean. Why? Because of the word that I spoke to you, the truth of God's word. You don't have to get saved again. You just have to grow. How do I grow? He says, abide in me. How does the, if I cut the branch off and I throw it out in the yard so that when I mow over it, it gets all mulched up, that part that I cut off is not going to grow. It's going to get hard. It's going to get yucky and it's gonna get run over and mulched up but what abides in the rose bush what abides in the vine is going to grow because it's getting that sustenance that it needs from the roots of the plant who's the sustenance that we need jesus so if i abide in jesus then i will start bearing fruit that look a lot like jesus he goes on to say unless you abide in the vine you cannot bear any fruit So the result is, you will not be barren or unfruitful. We want to abide in Jesus. We want to be sure that we are adding to ourselves these virtues that he's mentioned already. So the confirmation, and then there's the conclusion as we look here at verses 8 and 9. We see here the fact, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, No excuses, okay? If we are honest, when these things are lacking in our lives, we often say, well, that's just not me. It's not my nature. It's not my character. I I, I don't do those things very well. Don't fool yourself. If you are a child of God, these things should be true of you. We sing a song. These things are true of you. Faithful, uh, and I can't remember all the words to it. Um, These things are true of you. Make them true of me too. God has given us the ability to change from who we were, that's not me, to who he wants us to be. Okay, I'm going to love, I'm going to uh, manifest these other things that are against my nature. Because you know what? In reality... They're against everybody's nature. That's part of the old nature. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Don't say it's not me because then there's questions that have to be asked. Why is it not me? 
Well, because God hasn't changed me yet, maybe. Okay? So, um, or it's maybe you're not getting the care. Like my roses didn't get the care the first couple of years until Mike came over after I should have pruned them and said, Pastor, why didn't you prune your roses? I don't do that. It's not me. Pastor, if you don't do that, your roses are going to be short-lived. Oh, really? I mean, I already had a rabbit from my neighbor that would get in my rose garden and eat my roses and kill them. I didn't need anything else killing my roses. So I needed to make sure that I stopped being me, resisting the pruning, and start being like the rose gardener and do what I needed to do. I can't say as a Christian, that's not me. I have to say, okay, God, make it me. Let me manifest your character in my life. Here's another part of the conclusion. Not only is the fact that he who lacks these things is short-sighted, but it tends to make us forgetful. Peter says, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Do you ever forget? I forget sometimes. We all know how frustrating that can be. And the thing is, the forgetting, the forgetting is downright dreadful and sometimes can even be deadly. If you forget and you know that you have a problem with your brake fluid and your lines and you forget to check your brake fluid and you go to step on the brakes and there's no brake fluid in your, in your brake lines, what's going to happen to you? You're not going to stop, okay? And if you're going down the road uh, 65 miles an hour on 81 and a car slams on its brakes in front of you and you go to slam on your brakes and there's no brake fluid in your lines, what's going to happen? Bang, right into the back of that car or truck or guardrail or off the edge. Can be, dre- can be deadly, okay, if you forget. My brother, when I was first learning how to drive, well, I actually had my own car and I drove it down to my brother's because he needed to do some work on it in Watertown. Um, it was a 69 Cutlass. Yeah, it wasn't that old when I drove it, okay. Um, so anyway, uh, he, he said, I can't fix it today. You're going to have to take my car, which was like, I think, a 71 some Pontiac something. Uh, and it was a nice car. It kind of just floated when you drove down the road. Okay? Um, he says, but you got to check the oil in it. Okay? Check the oil in it. Make sure you check the oil. Um, every day, check the oil because there's a leak and I got to figure out what it is. But you can still drive it. But drive it home, check the oil. Before you leave tomorrow morning and I'm already gone to work, check the oil. I forgot. So I, I get just outside of Canton, driving from Watertown to Messina, just outside of Canton, and I thought, oh, you know what? I forgot to check the oil. I better pull over and, and let the car cool down and check the oil. So I did, and he had oil in the car, added oil. Um, I get back in the car, and I start driving, and just like 10, 10 feet from the speed limit sign for going into the town of Canton, just before the underpass, the, the railroad underpass, traffic is all backed up. Like, Come on, I want to get home. Come to find out there was a really bad accident right there. Had I not stopped to check the oil, I would have probably been in the middle of that accident. Okay? You see, if we forget to do the things that we're supposed to do, it can be bad. In this case, it wasn't so bad, but if I would have kept going, not only would I have probably been in an accident, I would have burned up the engine in my brother's car, and he would not have been happy with that, okay? So um, we need to understand 
that we have these things that are ours. We've been cleansed from the old nature, so we don't have to keep living in the old nature. We can live like we have this new nature. When I was growing up, I had a friend. We, we didn't have a car when I was growing up. My brother was the first one to get a car. So how do we get to church every Sunday and every Sunday night and every Wednesday? How do we get to church? Well, friends of ours who lived in the, the projects with us, they, his mom had a car. And so we would pile all into this really old uh, Ford station wagon that had seats in the back of it. Uh, I think it was an LTD wagon. We would pile into this green wagon and we would ride to church. But my friend Chris was always the last one in the car. Chris, what took you so long to get out of here, man? Oh, I had to, I had to check the, 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 the knobs on the stove and make sure they were all turned out. He's 13 years old. I had to check the knobs on the stove. I had to check the knobs on the stove, make sure they were turned off. I had to make sure that the iron was unplugged. And on and on and on is this list of things he had to make sure because he thought his mom was going to forget those things. And if she forgot those things, they might come back to a house that was all burned down. Okay? He was concerned about not forgetting those things. I had to check. He didn't want to forget and leave those things on. Peter is urging us here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Do not forget the cleansing that God has given to you. If we forget that great blessing, tragic results can happen in our life and our testimony of the great work that God has wrought in me and in you. Don't forget that you've been cleansed. And if you're not forgetting, you're living like you have been cleansed and you're adding these things to your life. Well, as we wrap up this morning, we need to be concentrating on victory in our walk. Concentrating on victory in our walk. Verses 10 and 11. Peter is reminding his readers and you and I as we read the text this morning. He's reminding us that we must focus and keep our focus fixed on the one who has called us and saved us. Verse 10, he talks about this idea of adding diligence. He says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an inheritance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So understand this, first of all, diligence is needed in order to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. You must be diligent. In fact, he says, be more diligent. Don't be content with a little bit of diligence. Push the envelope. Take it as far as you can. Now, this is the second time in a short space that Peter tells the Christians to be diligent. Remember, diligence indicates that effort that is required on our part. God has given us what we need to grow spiritually, but we are required to put in the effort and to strive for Christ's likeness. It's not just going to happen. Because if you sit back and hope that it happens, you're going to become less and less like Christ, not more and more like Christ. Put the work in. Do everything you can. Be more diligent. Some have translated this word diligence as being eager. Okay? In other words, you should be looking for and taking every advantage that God gives us to demonstrate our new nature that is ours in Christ. Make every effort. Eager. You know what it means to be eager, right? 
You just can't wait to get there and get going and get it done. And can we get, can we, like, think of your, when you take your child to their first little league practice. He's chomping at the bit. Come on, Dad. Let's go. Hurry up, Dad. Come on, we got to get there. Practice starts in an hour. It's only five minutes away. We're going to get there. No, no, no. Come on. Let's go, Dad. We got to go. That's the way we ought to be in our walk with the Lord. Come on. Let's go. Jesus, give me another chance. Give me another opportunity. Help me share this with somebody. Put that person in my life that I can talk to. We want to be eager. Diligence is eager, is needed. Be more diligent. Okay, here's the second thing. Determination is required. You see, if we want to make our calling and our, and our election sure, um, we need to be determined. You know why we need to be determined? Because we don't always succeed the first time around. What's that old saying? Try and try again. Okay? Here's the good news. You might be sitting here this morning and say, I failed. And I, and I just didn't just fail once. I failed lots of times. Doesn't matter. It's a new day. New opportunities await you. Confess the old and get plugged in with the new. And let, take advantage of those opportunities to make your calling and your election sure. Pastor, come on, you know, we don't really need to talk about those words, do we? Calling and election. And, yeah. Yeah, we do. You see, God has called you to be part of his family. If you're a child of God, it's not by chance. The Bible is very clear that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. We have all gone away. The Bible is clear about that. We're not seeking after God. We're not looking for God. God is looking for us. He's calling you. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior, you didn't get saved by chance. You didn't get saved because you were looking for God. You got saved because God was looking for you. He worked in your heart. He worked in your life. We call that conviction. He brought you to a place where you submitted your will to his and you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, you're not here by chance. You're here because you had an appointment with God and God said, I want you here today so you can hear the word of God. So you and I, we need to be determined to, to prove out our calling, the fact that God has called me to be one of his. And election, election. You know, we talk about these ideas and we say, Pastor, those are, those are words that people fight over. Well, let's see. What does he mean when he says, make your calling and election sure? I like what Kenneth Gangle says in his commentary. He says, the Greek word for sure was used in classical Greek to refer to a warranty deed Somewhat like, somewhat like those people use today on houses or other pieces of property. He goes on to say, one's, one's godly behavior is a warranty deed for himself and therefore is in fact, he is called and elected by God. Hallelujah that God called me because I wasn't going to call him. That idea of calling, this has to do with God's work of grace in the life of his people. We need to be thankful that God indeed calls us to himself. And you know what? Eventually we will answer. But for you and I, don't put it off. Listen, respond to that call. You know, we all have these things now. We carry them around in our pocket. 
And, and every time my phone rings, you know, that's a spam risk. Don't need to answer that. Okay? God never gives a spam call. God wants you. He calls you. He works in your heart. It, it may not be a loud shout to you. It may not be a screaming sensation that you have. It could be that still small voice. It's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, chiding you, convicting you, helping you to understand, I need to do this. I have to do this. God calls us. That's the idea of the calling. And then the election. Here's that area where many people get stuck and, and they want to have debates and they want to talk about it, they want to discuss it, uh, and they want to fight and argue about it. It's been happening for centuries, okay? Can I tell you, I absolutely believe in election. There's no doubt in my mind that God called and God elected us. It's, it's in the scriptures. You can't fight it. You can't debate it. It's true, And if you want to fight it, I'm just going to say, hey, go read this passage of Scripture. You know, if you want to fight, don't fight with me, fight with God, because he's the one who put it in there. Okay? This idea of election, the Bible talks about it. And even though we don't necessarily understand it, we struggle to understand it, it is a biblical truth. It's a fact. If you want to accept something by faith, accept that by faith. Just say, okay, God... That's the way you said it. That's the way it is. I'm okay with that. All right? God, here it is. God chose some from among condemned sinners to be the recipients of his great grace. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, because you elected me and called me. Otherwise, I'd still be out there somewhere trying to figure out life and failing at it. Okay? He chose from among some condemned sinners to be the recipients of his great grace. And it's a good thing he did because if he didn't choose some, then guess what? None would come. That's the truth. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's none that seeketh after God. God calls and we respond to that call. God chose us and there's nothing we can do to prevent that from happening. So don't focus on the, the, un, the hard-to-understand parts of calling and election. Just simply accept it, believe it, and let the Lord work through those details in your life and convince you of those very truths. God's saving grace produces a changed life, one that reflects godly characteristics. Why does that happen? Because God called us and elected us. My previous church, I had a lady who said, you're not a Calvinist, are you? As though that was a dirty word. And I said, this is what I believe. You can put whatever label you want on me. But I believe what God's word says. And she wasn't so friendly after that for some reason. <laughs> okay? But here's the, here's the thing. God has given us the truth in this book. And it's not ours to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. We take it all and we live by it. God chose us, he elected us, and it's our responsibility as we respond to those truths to live these things out so others will see it. So we have this idea of the diligence needed, determination required, and then the idea of dependable footing. You will never stumble. So Peter says in the text, you will never stumble. The idea of stumbling means to trip or to fall. Yesterday, we went to, to, the, to the Loud House, to the Dome, to watch this, another football game. 
Two weeks ago, Brandon invited me to go with him. Uh, the first time I ever went to the Dome. Okay? Now, he parks in the VA parking lot because he has a pass to do that. Um, and there's a lot of steps. And I, you know, I don't, like, I don't mind steps. I like whether it's flat steps or steps going upstairs. So game's all over uh, two weeks ago, and we're talking, and we're walking up to get to the parking spot. And he's saying something to me, and I'm answering him, and I didn't raise my foot quite high enough, and my, foot, my back foot caught on one of the steps, and I started to stumble forward. And he stops. You know, Brandon, he's very kind, very, you know, just a, a very nice young man, very polite. Pastor, you okay? Yep, I'm fine. No problem. You know, because you're trying to go quickly, because the quicker you get to the car at the end of the game, the quicker you can get out of the parking lot. Uh, quick is not a word for getting out of the parking lot at the dome. But anyway, um, so yesterday, we're walking again those same steps, and I said to him, I said, I'll try not to stumble up the stairs or fall up the stairs this time. He says, yeah, I felt so bad about that, Pastor. I was like, not half as bad as I felt, but anyway, I didn't get hurt. I just, you know, you embarrassed. You can't even walk stairs. You're 56 years old. You can't walk upstairs yet. All right? So this is the idea. We all stumble. We all fall sometimes. Peter says, if you are focused on your walk with the Lord, if you're adding these things to your life, if these things are true of you, you will not stumble. You will not trip or fall. David said it this way over in Psalm 121. I will lift mine eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help, come from the, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer your foot to be moved. He who slumbers will not allow your foot to be moved. He who does not slumber or sleep will not allow your foot to be moved. Our footing, our firm foundation is found in none other than Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to know that and understand that. He's not talking about losing your salvation. He is suggesting that we, be, we could become spiritually unhealthy if we don't add these things to our life. If we aren't growing in our walk, we will, I hate the word, but people use it all the time, we will backslide, okay? We will fall out of a sweet fellowship with God, not a complete falling out, but the joy, the joy of your salvation that you should have and that I should have sometimes eludes us because we're not living the way God wants us to, to live. So he says you can have dependable footing and you can have dynamic growth. Peter wants us to see the result of real growth, dynamic, vibrant growth in our life. Verse 11 is a great incentive for a healthy Christian living. Let me read it again for you. He says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whew. Not just a little bit, not by the skin of your teeth, but abundantly. Kids used to sing, Abundant Wonderful Life. We have Abundant Wonderful Life in Jesus. It's overflowing. It keeps on going. It, it, it just doesn't stop. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me read for you how the NIV puts it, okay? I'm not a big fan of the NIV. I don't have necessarily any problems with it. I just don't prefer it for preaching, okay? It says there, and you will receive a, love it, Rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what? As Christians, we're striving to hear what from Jesus at the end when we see him face to face. 
well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your rest, or my rest, Jesus says. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, this word supply, where it says God will supply that for you, uh, it, it has the same word that, it's the same word that Peter used in verse 5 when he said, add to your faith virtue. When we're adding Christ-like behavior to our life, God will be pleased to supply us with a rich welcome when we reach heaven's shores. MacArthur comments this way, as he, he sums it up very nicely. He says, Peter piles up the words to bring joy to the weary Christian's heart. An abundant entrance into eternal life is the hope and reality for a Christian who lives a faithful, fruitful life here on earth. Peter's point is that a Christian who pursues the listed virtues in verses 5 through 7 will not only enjoy assurance in the present, but a full, rich reward in the future life in heaven. Oh, man. Is that something to look forward to? Peter's challenge to us, work it out, is a challenge to live like the Lord and prove the great work he has done in changing us from sinner to sinner saved by grace. You see, you and I, we've been called to embody the character of Christ in our lives. And when we do that, others see Christ in us. They look at us and say, boy, you're different. Yeah, let me tell you why. And we have the opportunity to share Christ with them. It proves that we don't just talk the talk, but we walk the walk. We're, we're called to be people of Christ, that we're in this pursuit of life to, 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 to live like Jesus lived his life when he was here on earth. When we add to our Christian lives the things that God has made available to us, it is proof that we are child of God and we will be producing fruit that others will notice and say, I need that in my life as well. As we leave here this morning, may we be encouraged to work it out, to work out our salvation, and to grow in our faith, to grow in our Christian walk, so others will want this same salvation that we have. And when we have the opportunity to communicate this salvation to others, oh, what a blessing it is. There's nothing quite like it, actually, to communicate the truth of God to others and see God do a work in their life to bring them to salvation. Father, we come before you this morning and we so thank you for the blessings of the Christian life. I know it's not always easy and we don't want to paint that picture because sometimes the Christian life is, is wearisome, sometimes it's, it's tough, but Father, you've promised to supply us with all that we need to walk the walk and talk the talk that you've called us to. Thank you, Father, for choosing us to be part of your family. We know that in and of ourselves we would never have choose, chosen you, but you chose us and for that we say thank you. We ask, Lord, that as we leave here this morning, that you'd help us to honor you and to show others the way of Christ's likeness. In our Savior name, Savior's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.